great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. Really interesting choices of five uh, between the goaltender and Askarov. I don't think they're going to go with the goalie, uh, but but he's definitely worth doing your due diligence on, right? Uh, given what we've seen over the last couple of seasons. Um, I, I think defense would not surprise me. If I was a betting man, if he's available at five, I think they really like Jake Sanderson. Mm. Um, but, you know, Drysdale's another possibility there. Hello there and welcome to episode 59 of Sports and More. My name is Dean Millard. Almost anything goes on this show. We try to stay away from politics and we always stay away from religion unless you are praying to the sports gods. AJ Jakubek, that was the voice, and if you're watching, the face that you saw there of TSN 1200 and formerly here in Edmonton. So we're going to chat with him uh, a lo- about the uh, Ottawa Senators draft. They have the third and fifth overall picks. We're going to chat about the 67s, a couple of superstars in this draft from that junior team, of which uh, AJ is the voice of. And we're going to talk about his health because he uh, had a real tough battle last winter and uh, thankfully has uh, come through it. Uh, but it it certainly was not easy. Uh, and then we'll uh, circle back with some more hockey talk about the o- OHL season, whether that goes. Uh, we'll, we'll do a little WHL travel talk because he was on and is still on those buses. And uh, the CFL season, he's the voice of the Red Blacks as well. So that's tough. We'll get into some Major League Baseball playoffs, and uh, then we'll do name association. Usually I do word association with uh, guys and their former teammates, but uh, instead of giving him the name, I'm going to give him the topic, and I want AJ to give me uh, the name of uh, who I'm going with. So that should be a lot of fun. I think you're going to really like that conversation, and uh, certainly AJ uh, has the gift of gab uh, with with the uh, best of them. Uh, the weekly tribute uh, as we move along is just something that I like to uh, to point out and um, just signify something good. And this is the Robin Leonard deal, um, uh, a long term deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. And Robin Leonard is a guy who has been open about his mental health, uh, and I think it's wonderful as a person who's also on that journey. I think it's amazing. And there were some teams, I think, and he's mentioned this in the past, that were leery about signing him uh, because of that, which it opens up a big can of worms. Um, there's no, uh, there's nothing, you know, there's, there's, you can't guarantee that Robin Leonard is going to have uh, a setback with his mental health. There's no guarantee he's not, just like with any player in any past situation. So, I don't know. I'm I'm really glad that the Golden Knights have put some faith and and in the in Robin Leonard, despite his past uh, uh, mental health struggles and 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 anything else that he's had, because I think it will help others think it's you know realize how it's okay to come forward and talk about it, and not be afraid of it affecting their career. Uh, so I I think it's wonderful. Actually reached out to uh, Kelly McCrimmon, who's the GM of the uh, Golden Knights, and I uh, know him from uh, our Brandon days. And I just just said this is wonderful. So uh, I think it was really good, 
And I think uh, it's probably really good for Robin Leonard that he talks about it as openly as he does for him and for a whole lot of other people. So that's my weekly tribute to an NHL team, um, you know, putting long-term plans into a guy who has been vocal about some mental health issues while other teams have been scared off by that. So good on uh, the Golden Knights and uh, Robin Leonard for getting that done for sure. All right, uh, I want to tell you about our top three, which is presented by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. We all love fantasy sports. As I record this, I'm cringing because Aaron Rodgers is destroying things along with uh, Mr. Jones of the Green Bay Packers, and I am probably going to lose in fantasy football. But you know what's also great about fantasy sports is the realism. And there's nothing more realistic than the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Platform. It is the most realistic. There are only 31 teams, soon to be 32. So only one team uh, has Connor McDavid, by the way. Uh, sad news that Connor McDavid has uh, been diagnosed with COVID-19 as per the Edmonton Oilers release. He has mild symptoms uh, and is uh, self-quarantined. Uh, so we wish the best of luck uh, to Mr. McDavid. Uh, but I think it certainly is starting to prove that this is just not an old person situation. So best of luck to Connor McDavid. As mentioned, only one person can own that asset. These guys are digital assets uh, on the blockchain that you can uh, trade, sell, buy, uh, all kinds of things. And it is so realistic. Uh, uh, almost everything mirrors the NHL. Uh, there's a seven-game playoff series. We do a draft at the playoffs uh, for the non-roster players. It is just absolutely awesome. Dynamite. So you should try to get into the game where you own the game at www.uffsports.com. Uh, and there's so much more to come. Uh, they're branching out into MMA, uh, but this hockey platform is amazing. We actually have scouts uh, who have uh, listed players all the way up to the 2023 draft. So it is seriously in-depth. It is high stakes. Uh, so you might want to pool together... Uh, with a bunch of your buddies and try to buy a franchise and get in the game where you own uh, the game. So this is our top three topic we're going with today. Your favorite players from the 2020 draft. Uh, and, you know, uh, when when Guy Flaming and I uh, used to do the Pipeline show, we would always have like a favorite player that we would kind of like. Uh, you know, Craig Button has mentioned it on track in the draft that they always have Craig's man crush. Uh, so... Uh, for favorite players in this draft, my honorable mention, uh, I'm going uh, with uh, Gunnar Wolf Fontaine, uh, a player from the USHL, best name in the draft by far. So Gunnar Wolf Fontaine is my honorable mention. Uh, number three, I'm going with Jack Quinn. I just love goal scorers, and uh, the Ottawa 67 uh, had over 50 of them this year, one of the best goal scorers in the draft. Number two, Yaroslav Askarov, uh, the top-rated goaltender. I don't think he slips out of the top 10. If he's anywhere around 14, the Oilers should be try running to the front of the draft to take him or trading up uh, if he slips out of the top 10. And for uh, for me, number one, Jake Sanderson. And just on a kind of a personal reason, I have gotten to know his dad, Jeff, a little bit. My wife grew up with him. Uh, in high-level Alberta, uh, and so I uh, was able to text back and forth with Jeff, and uh, he, he said he's more nervous for sure 
now than on his draft day uh, with his son Jake. And uh, you'll hear, and you, you heard that uh, clip off the top, a little bit more about uh, maybe the Ottawa Senators' interest in Jake Sanderson at number five. So that's my top three uh, favorite players from the uh, 2020 NHL draft. Uh, would love to hear your favorite players. We're going to do perfect player in regards to the NHL draft a little bit later. But uh, who are your top three favorite players when it comes to the National Hockey League draft? Uh, head on over to at Duck Millard on Twitter and you can get in touch with us uh, and uh Get in the game. Uh, speaking of uh, what else we have going on, uh, Podcast Alley is where you can find all of your podcast needs. We'll have one-timers with AJ Jakubik a little bit later on this week. Also, tracking the draft. We'll have a draft recap with Craig Button on Thursday. And uh, Fantasy Fun Time with myself and Jamie Thomas will all come out Thursday. What a wild week it was in the NFL uh, with the uh, COVID setbacks. Also on the Cannabis 101 podcast this week, Levi Hornack of Stone Smith's Vapes, a local company. We'll have also have one hitters with him. So for all your podcast needs, uh, check out tr- uh, podcastalley.ca. All right, uh, let's get to our featured interview with AJ Jakubek of TSN 1200. And as always, we get to know him with the bio. Time for the bio. A.J. Jakubek was born in Edmonton and grew up in St. Albert, Alberta, graduating from St. Albert High. He graduated from Nate in 97 and started his broadcasting career in Melfort, Saskatchewan, on a four-month practicum. He rounded out the 90s in Trail, B.C., calling different hockey games before moving to Kelowna, B.C. for a year. Two years back in Edmonton with any sport and any time was followed by a four-year stint in Ottawa, Ontario, calling 67s games before coming back to Edmonton as the first play-by-play voice of the Oil Kings. He spent the last 11 years back in Ottawa as the voice of the Red Blacks, 67s, and Atletico. AJ, it is great to catch up with you. Uh, we heard during the uh, the bio the uh, many years that you spent, uh, obviously growing up here in Edmonton, but uh, working in Edmonton as well. Now uh, you're in Ottawa. We're going to talk a lot uh, today uh, about your health journey and, and, and where you are right now, but let's get to the, the most immediate topic, and that's the NHL draft. And the Ottawa Senators, uh, you know, I, I wonder what the buzz is right now because they have three and five. Uh, they have some picks later as well, but do you expect and is the buzz in the city that the Senators are going to use both of their top five picks? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a possibility that I guess they could trade down from five. They're, they're certainly not going to trade down from three. Uh, I don't think they're going to overthink it. I think, uh, you know, Lafreniere's, I mean, barring some sort of shock, I think Lafreniere is going to go number one. LA is going to take either Byfield or Stutzla and Ottawa's going to take uh, whoever's left. Then, then at five, it gets a little more intriguing because you've got a lot of different options, but if they trade out of that spot, it's because uh, I think, you know, let's say New Jersey, right? New Jersey's got seven, 18 and 20. So let's say if New Jersey really wanted somebody and Ottawa's got a few different players that they like, maybe they trade down two spots and get, uh, you know, flop, 
18 or 20 for 28 or something along those lines. Uh, but, but I, I expect them to pick the three and five. Um, and, and I think they're going to have some really interesting choices at five uh, between the goaltender and Askarov. I don't think they're going to go with the goalie, uh, but, but he's definitely worth doing your due diligence on, right? Uh, given what we've seen over the last couple of seasons. Um, I, I think defense would not surprise me if I was a betting man, if he's available at five, I think they really like Jake Sanderson. Mm. Um, but you know, Drysdale's another possibility there. And then you've got, uh, you know, all sorts of forwards that, that could go in, in that slot. Uh, I know they're high on both Ottawa 67's Marco Rossi and Jack Quinn. Uh, I, I think they're high on Lucas Raymond. You've got Cole Perfetti as well. Alexander Holtz is, uh, you know, a, a, a guy that's got great goal scoring ability. Do I think they take him at five? I'd be surprised. Um, I, I think if I was a betting man, I'd say if Sanderson's there at five, that that's who I think they'll take. If, if he's gone, then, you know, I, I think they really like Jack Quinn. The question is, do they, do they just go ahead and take him at five or do they maybe try and trade down and, 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 pick them at seven or eight. So, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see how it plays out. Uh, they have a need for uh, some right wingers as well. So maybe, maybe they're happy to trade down if Sanderson's gone and, um, you know, and, and take whoever is there between uh, Jack Quinn and Lucas Raymond, uh, but a lot of different options and we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Well, Jack Quinn, uh, Craig Button has him ranked sixth on the, the Craigslist, at least from March. Uh, he may have uh, redone it leading up to the draft. So I, I don't, I don't see that as a, as a stretch. Now, if they take Sanderson, is that because Drysdale is already gone or do you think they like Sanderson over Jamie Drysdale? It's a great question. Um, I, I think they both, they, I think they like them both. I, I really do. It's interesting. I, I, I get a lot of different, and everyone talks to different scouts, but mm-hmm. man, I've talked to three or four that like Sanderson better than Drysdale. And I, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I've got a, I, I, two things. Number one, I saw Drysdale play at the World Juniors. I thought he was outstanding. So from that, I've never seen Jake Sanderson play. Uh, mentioned I grew up in St. Albert. Um, I, I played hockey with Jerry Sanderson, Jeff Sanderson's younger brother, for three years. I'm still friends with Grant Sanderson on Facebook, messaged him uh, about a week ago. Uh, I, I mean, Guy Sanderson, Jeff Sanderson, Aaron and Linda Sanderson, I know the entire family. So mm. he, he comes from a great group and and, and I'd love to see Jake and end up in Ottawa. Uh, that being said, I mean, I've never seen him play. I, I'm only going by what scouts tell me and scouts love him. Uh, every scout almost that I've talked to likes Sanderson more than Drysdale, which when you look at some of the rankings, you'd think that wouldn't be the case. So uh, Sanderson, you know, from from all accounts, skates really well, moves the puck well as a physical component. And I I think, you know, where some people are are maybe downplaying what Jake Sanderson could bring to the table is what he can do offensively. And I know he really started to bloom offensively late in the season. And I think, you know, the scouts that I talk to that are really high on him, see him as a top pairing defenseman and see him as a guy that that's shown uh, a lot more upside offensively than, than maybe the numbers show. So that uh, I think, uh, look, either way, you're getting a great player. I mean, you just look at how Drysdale played. I mean, when there were some injuries and he was playing top six minutes as a 17 year old on a quality world junior yeah. team that won gold, 
he stepped right in and, and did, they didn't miss a beat. And, and that that's something you don't see very often uh, out of 17 year olds in that tournament and in particular 17 year old defensemen. So either way, I, I, again, I think Ottawa's in a great spot. They're going to get two really, really good players at three and five. And they, they have eight picks in the first 63. So <laughs> they're, they're in, they're in such a good spot right now. And to think they're going to, they're going to come away with at least two, I think potential star players here and, and they might get a couple more, even if, even if you trade a couple of those six picks from 28 to 63 and you pick four and, and a couple of those don't end up hitting. If you hit on one or two of those, you, you could potentially get four really good players in this draft and, and two stars. So they're, they're in a really enviable position uh, and, and we'll see uh, how it plays out for them. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and you meant to talk about Jake Sanderson and that family, uh, and and it really does. He really does come from a, a good family. I mentioned in one timers how I can look out the window and see uh, your old high school. I can look out the other window and see where Sanderson's parents live. And, and my wife uh, grew up with them in high level. Uh, that's where she knew them. She actually babysat some of Jake's yeah. uncles. So they we, we've gotten to know the family as well. And uh, I know they're really excited this week. And, you know, I think I expect Jake uh, Foley to be a top 10 pick. So uh, I don't think you can go wrong. Uh, I know maybe Drysdale uh, is getting a, a lot more hype among fans, but maybe you're right. When you talk to scouts, it's a, it's a little bit different. You also mentioned that the other picks that the senators have 28th overall in the first round, I think they have four second round picks. So I, I can't see them spending all of their picks. I mean, there are teams like the Oilers who are, would love to get back into the second round. I'd imagine, you know, second round picks always seem to be that real high end currency during the draft. Guys don't often want to part with first round picks, but you can see him sometimes get a lot done with a second round pick. They'll be dealing some of those, don't you expect? I'd be surprised if they if they had eight players in, in the top sixty three. I'll be surprised. Yeah. I, I and, and again, I think from twenty eight on, and I'll say like five might be in play in terms of trading down a couple of spots, but it's sure. not in play for a player or, or, or to trade down to, to like 13 or anything like that. So, but, but I think all those other picks will be in play, whether it's to use them to, to trade up, uh, to, to move higher in the first round, whether it's uh, uh, to, to go out and get, you know, they, they've got, they've got to get to the floor, right? So mm-hmm. there's all these teams that are in dire straits when it comes to, uh, you know, a flat cap, but also internal budget as well. No, we don't know what Eugene Melnick's internal budget is, and I can't imagine it's going to be much beyond the cap. But they they should have at least the the type of flexibility to go out and get a couple of veteran players. So we'll we'll see we'll see what they can bring in. I I think you know I know they traded for Josh Brown, but to me they they need somebody. For me, their biggest need in in, in terms of just the near future. Uh, their biggest long-term need is up the middle. And that's, and I think they'll address that with one of those picks at three or five, um, you know, Byfield and Stutzla Byfield is, is a center hundred percent Stutzla. He could be a center. He could be a winger. It depends on who you talk to. Um, and, and, and even if you think Stutzla's a winger at, at, at three and you get him, maybe you take Rossi at five, right? So you, you can address that. That that's really the only way you can address the center ice need as it is. You can address 
you know, goaltending and defense and scoring and all, all those different aspects in, in different ways through trades and free agency. But it's very rare you get an elite centerman uh, in any other way other than the draft. So, um, so their biggest long-term need is center. They've, they've got a couple of good young ones. We'll see where Logan Brown develops. We'll, we'll see with Josh Norris, who had a great rookie season in the American League last year. Um, but, you know, biggest for me, the biggest short-term need is they, they need another defenseman that can take some of the pressure off of Thomas Shabbat. And I, I'm a big believer that less is more. And, and right now, Thomas Shabbat is playing too many minutes. It, it's great that you've got someone that's capable of playing 30 minutes a night, uh, someone that can be a horse. But sometimes when you play somebody that much, they're conserving themselves and you're not seeing their best play. And I, I'd like to see Thomas Shabbat let loose a little bit more. And that means dropping his minutes down to a more manageable level of, you know, 23, 24 minutes. Okay. If the odd night somebody gets hurt, it ends up being 27. So be it. But for me, he's playing too much. And I, I think they, they have to find a way to, you know, to, you know, getting into Josh Brown who can play in the third pair is fine, but they, they need somebody to, to relieve his minutes that can play in the top four. All right, so you mentioned a couple of the uh, Ottawa 67s, a team that you obviously know very well. Um, who, who, let, let's talk about these two guys, Marco Rossi and and Jack Quinn. And and I asked Craig Button on our show, we featured both of them, and I said, you know, is is Quinn, you know, Rossi to setting up plays what Quinn is to, to scoring goals? And he said, yeah, but Rossi's also a bit of a sneaky goal scorer himself as well. Well, Jack, you know, and Jack Quinn also gets a lot of assists, but, you know, are these two guys more than what you see on the surface, a, a goal scorer and a, and a playmaker? Oh, yeah, so much more. Um, you know, let's start with Marco Rossi. Best player I've ever seen on a game-to-game basis. Uh, you know, like I've I've seen guys come through. I watched Sidney Crosby, for example, at the, the Memorial Cup in, in 2005. But in, in terms of the... Best player I've seen day in, day out. And I've seen some pretty good ones. You know, with the Oil Kings, it was young. It was Mark Pesic sure. in, in those days. But, uh, you know, with the Ottawa 67s, you know, I've seen guys like Logan Couture and Tyler Toffoli and Travis Konechny and Sean Monaghan, uh, Peter Morazic as well. But uh, Marco Rossi is the best guy I've seen play day in, day out. Just complete player, uh, competitive edge. Like, guys don't like practicing against him because he competes that hard in practice. Um, so he is, he is just as competitive as can be a super smart player. Like one of the smartest players I've ever watched. Uh, he, he skates well. I think that's underplayed a little bit. Some people say they don't think he skates as, as well as he needs to. I, I fully disagree. Um, to, to me, he's, he's, I think you're getting a similar type player to a Braden points. And, and we saw, him slip uh, to, to the third round and, and Tampa got a steal there. To, to me, Marco Rossi might end up being the best player in this draft. I, I, I think he, he's going to play right away. I think he's a safe player because you know you're going to get someone who's going to play a 200-foot game. You, you know what his character's like. I mean, he drove three hours a day when he was in, in Austria to, to play in Switzerland to practice hour and a half each way. Uh, back before he, he decided to make the move to North America. And, you know, just a very loyal family. I know there's a, agents trying to poach him. And, you know, they, they stayed loyal to, uh, to to their agent as well. So just, you know, someone that you you want on your team. And, you know, like his his numbers are just 
ridiculous, both in yeah. terms of points. I'm not a huge plus minus guy, but you know, his plus minus, he's like a hundred plus 120 in the last two years. It's ridiculous. So whoever he plays with just gets better. That's the bottom line. So to me, he's the total package. And when, you know, the only negative that anyone ever has to say about Marco Rossi is his size, but he's got, he's got one of those lower body builds, like a, like a Sidney Crosby. And I, I, I said this before, I've interviewed Sidney Crosby in the NHL and the Memorial Cup probably seven times in my life. I'm five foot 10. There, there's no way. I know he's listed sometimes 5'11", 6 feet tall. He's 5'10". I'll tell you that right now. And Marco Rossi is a legit 5'9". Like, we're talking about an inch difference. So, if Sidney Crosby can withstand the uh, the rigors of an 82-game schedule and play the way he can, and I'm not saying he's Sidney Crosby, Marco Rossi can as well. He's got mm-hmm. that big lower half. It's hard to, when he gets the puck down low, he protects it so well. And so, you know, I've got nothing but good things to say about Marco Rossi. There, there's a lot of guys that I've watched in junior when you watch him game in, game out, that uh, Tyler Tavoli's one. I'll, I'll be honest. Tyler Tavoli's a guy that I wondered if his game would translate to the NHL level. And, and he proved a lot of people wrong. And good for him. He, he's had a great career and still a, a pretty good player. Uh, someone that I think is going to command some interest, whether it's he stays in Vancouver or whether he goes elsewhere. And, in free agency but uh you know like you, you tend to pick apart guys that you watch that much but sure there, there's nothing to pick apart with marco rossi i can tell you that right now i thought the same thing when i watched travis connecty and was, was shocked that he dropped to 24. uh the flyers got a steal there and and, and look he's one of their best forwards now and, and marco rossi's a better player than travis connecty so yeah and then there's guys that are Real good juniors that, you know, Todd Robinson, Corey Locke, that, that I watched a lot in junior that didn't translate to the National Hockey League. And, you know, Marco Rossi isn't going to be that guy. The game has changed, number one. And number two, he's just good in every – he's good in everything, good mm-hmm. at everything. So, yeah, complete player. In terms of Jack Quinn, um, you know, the, the only reason his numbers were down the way they were, not that he was going to score 50 goals the year before, but the only reason his numbers were – at the level that they were the year before is because Ottawa had a team that That's right. was one of the best in the CHL. They won 14 games to start 14 straight games to start the playoffs, ended up losing four straight after that to Guelph and didn't end up winning the OHL championship, but that team was stacked. They had 11 forwards that had a half a point a game and, and Jack Quinn was one of them. And because he was the youngest of those 11, he was often playing on the third and fourth lines. Mm-hmm. Now, if there was an injury or a suspension, He'd move in. He could easily move into the top line on that team, and they didn't miss a beat. But but that's the only reason his numbers were lower. He plays on any team, any other team in the CHL that year, and he's playing in the top six. But he just happened to be playing on what was the deepest forward group in the country, and you know playing some second power play time. And you, you could see the skill was there. And I can tell you this, and I've talked to some of the. 67th players about this never complained once either right so you know this is a guy that's going to come into your organization and he's he's going to be happy to contribute in any way that he can and if he starts out on the fourth line so be it but uh just natural skill uh, just a natural athlete and and a guy who didn't didn't play triple a hockey and and just you know we we, we saw the skill from him as a 16 year old but you'd see it in flashes then you'd see more of it the next year as a 17 year old and then this year as an 18 year old he's a late birthday so it's mm-hmm. you know it, he's played 
two full seasons in the OHL. He spent most of the, his 16-year-old in the CCHL, but got called up at times and played in the playoffs against Hamilton that year. And yeah, just comes from really good family, really good kid. Both of, the, both of them are really good kids as well when you talk about Rossi and Quinn. And I don't, I don't think you can miss with either one of them. And I'm glad to see Jack get uh, top 10 recognition because I, I do think he's a legit top 10 talent. And look, whoever, whoever goes 10 in this draft, is if you're sitting at 10 right now, you know you're getting a good player, right? Sure. Whether it's one of the Swedes, one of the defensemen, one of the 67s, Cole Perfetti, Askarov. I mean, there, there's this is just such a good draft, you know, through at least 12. And, and then, you know, you talk about guys like Seth Jarvis and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. right? So Hendrix Lapierre, who could, you know, given the could fact be that... To- he could be a top five talent if he wasn't hurt, right? Yeah, well, for sure, top 10. For sure, top 10 with, with that other group, right? And the fact that he had five points in his first weekend, he's a, he's a local product, too. He's from across the river in Gatineau. And, mm-hmm. um, we, we had him on the radio a couple of weeks ago and says he feels great. And, you know, it's kind of that uh, Antoine Vermette thing that, uh, you know, they thought it was concussions and ended up being a neck issue. And right. Vermette had a very product, productive NHL career where that didn't uh, – end up being an issue for him. And hopefully that's the case with Lapierre as well, because I think we saw in particular at the under 18s at the Holinka Gretzky tournament, man, when, when he was healthy and, and going a year ago, mm-hmm. he, he was, uh, he was right up there with Perfetti and Byfield and Drysdale on that team as one of the best players on, on that Canadian squad. Sidney Crosby too, went through the same thing after that winter classic, right? It was uh, a lot of neck yeah. stuff with uh, Sidney Crosby. So uh, certainly, um, you know, it sounds like, he is on uh, the, the right track, and that is good. So, okay, let's talk a, a little bit of health. Good segue there. That was a good natural segue that we had. And, and let's get into your health. And and can, can you just, you know, and for, for those that, uh, you know, maybe don't know the, the whole story, can you kind of just take us through what happened last winter with you? Yeah, basically, uh, I, I'd been suffering some stomach pains for, you know, probably about a year. Not Not very often, but... Happened about five or six times. Ended up going to the hospital once. And, and you know, they thought it might have been a appendicitis. And it wasn't appendicitis. CT scan didn't show anything. And, yeah, so basically uh, right after Grey Cup last year in Calgary, it was uh, December 1, I called a 67s game against North Bay. And wasn't feeling great. Ended up, uh, you know, the next day didn't, you know, called into sick, called into work sick. And, Within a couple of hours, I was throwing up and calling 911. So it wasn't a lot of fun. Um, ended up getting acute pancreatitis. That's what, what happened. I had gallstones that were blocking my uh, my pancreas and bile duct and did a lot of damage to my pancreas. And yeah, it was, uh, was in hospital for ICU for eight days, hospital for 68. And uh, yeah, it was off work for just over six months. So it was... Uh, it was a struggle. There, there were some tough moments. Uh, you know, I got in, got out of hospital after about a month and a bit. Uh, ended up getting an infection. Had to go back in. Thought I might be in for another few days, maybe a week. I was in for another 29 days, so that wasn't a lot of fun. But, uh, yeah, and there was a time in there my kidneys were destabilizing. and Yeah, so, but got through the worst of it. And, um, yeah, ended up going getting back to work in June. And, I was just super fortunate that it happened pre-COVID because number oh, one, I, I had my parents with me every step of the way. I mean, obviously, you know, Brent Griffiths and the fact that he had to go in for 
mm-hmm. stomach cancer. And, um, you know, when, when he was in hospital, he, he was basically there by himself. You know, the only way he was able to connect with, with people in hospital was via the phone. And so I can't imagine going through that type of process. So my parents were in from Edmonton on three different occasions for about three months. And yeah, it was, uh, it was a rough go, but got through it. And uh, yeah, just hoping, hoping that, uh, you know, I can kind of, that the worst is behind me, I guess. And for for a while there, you were in hospital and, and you know, it was very, you know, like people, very few people could come visit you. And like, were you in a, like, a, were you awake the whole time? Did you, were you out for a while? What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I was intubated for a few days. And, and so uh, the, the first few days, I don't really remember too much, but I do remember, you know, probably about four or five days in uh waking up in icu and yeah so my parents were there my sister flew in from calgary as well so that that was great to have that support and then you know once i was out of icu i could start to get you know regular visitors and i had about 80 different visitors that came to see me which was amazing and just all the support from everyone across the country and just uh you know people that that were messaging me it was that really lifted my spirits and, and kept me going. So, yeah, I mean, certainly some tough times, but I uh, got through it and just the support that I received. I mean, you know, I, I, I think, you know, obviously everything that's going on here with COVID, it's, it's not a lot of fun. It's, mm-hmm. you know, certainly with, uh, you know, people, people dying, people getting sick, hospitals being overrun, people losing their jobs, businesses going down. I mean, there's a lot of negatives. Um, I, I guess if there's one silver lining for me, it's just that, the appreciation that people I think have a greater appreciation for our frontline workers. And certainly my experience in hospital with doctors and nurses and support staff, uh, you know, I I couldn't have got better care. It was incredible. The the care that I received, uh, you know, at the Ottawa general. So yeah, just, uh, just thankful, thankful to be, uh, you know, on, on the road to recovery here. Still have a couple of things that I need to get done, but uh, hopefully it's onward and upward from here. Like, you know, you mentioned you'd been dealing with like some stomach pains kind of off and on. So to get an answer would have been great. But then when they start telling you your organs are not functioning properly, that's, you know, that's the, the you know, the scariest thing because we all know we, you're not functioning very long without properly uh, healthy organs. That Was that the scariest part, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, you know, probably... You know, obviously early was not great when you're in ICU, but when I had mm-hmm. to go back in and, you know, we, when I was told that my kidneys were destabilizing and they needed to put me on medication for that, and that was tough. My parents were back in Edmonton during that spell, and I was actually kind of glad that they were because those were a rough couple of days. But once it got kind of better on, on the right path, that helped. And just talking to people really helped as well. And again, that's where support really you know, makes a difference, right? You can't really go through all that type of stuff, you know, solo. You need some type of support, support from hospital staff, support from family, support from friends, support from people that have been through it. So yeah. no question, that's, that's uh, you know, I, I'm a fighter anyways, but that certainly helped in, in my battle for sure. 
Uh, and I imagine getting back to work helped in the, the recovery. And, you know, what, what's the, you know, where are you right now as far as, uh, you know, is recovery, healing, curing sort of thing? And, 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 you know, how did going back to work help with the, the mental aspect? Like, the, you know, you dealt with a ton of physical ailments and, and, and struggles, but there's, you know, people sometimes forget about the mental aspect that comes with being on, uh, being ill and, and being in the hospital. So what was it like to get back to work and where are you now with, with your health? Yeah, it was great. It, it, it was just kind of another step towards normalcy, right? So that was, that was big for me for sure, uh, to get back to work and, and just, you know, go back to work in a regular shift. And I was fortunate enough to be able to call soccer at the uh, mm-hmm. Canadian Premier League Island Games and PEI. So I was there for seven weeks. I was only supposed to be there six, but I, I needed my gallbladder out and it decided <laughs> it wanted to come out a little bit early. So I ended up getting it out there and staying an extra week. But uh, yeah, still have to get stents out, uh, you know, on a cancellation list right now uh, to hopefully get a CT scan sooner rather than later. And yeah, basically, uh, that's that's where things are at health-wise, and just just great to be back at work for sure. How has this changed your life? Uh, you know, moving forward, uh, I, I guess with your outlook, diet, any of those things. You know, what's what's different about your life now? Yeah, I mean, diet is you know something that you have to watch. I, I probably even need to watch it a little bit more. I'm pretty good. No fried, you know, trying to limit fried foods and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I'm good with that probably need to limit a little more kind of dairy in terms of you know less ice cream for example but uh but yeah just uh just you know beyond that in terms of my overall outlook on life i i think a lot changed for me within the last couple of years anyways just going abroad as much as i have i've traveled a lot in my life but hadn't really traveled too much beyond you know canada and western europe and and to be able to go to a lot of different countries in, in Eastern Europe, for example, explore my heritage, go to Ukraine and, and Poland. I went to Sweden and Norway as well. But, you know, just to kind of see different things, I, I think, changed my perspective in terms of wanting to see more of the world. Right. And, and maybe, you know, we're fortunate to be able to, you know, I'm fortunate for sure to be able to do something that I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's not the be all and end all. You, you know, it's still a job. Right. As much as I love it, it's still a job. So. I appreciate those other moments that much more and, you know, hoping to get back, you know, when, when we get back to somewhat normal times, hoping to get back to, to just enjoying every day that much more and, and, and hopefully getting to see that much more of the world as well. Well, and, and, we wonder when any sort of normalcy is going to return in, in all of our lives. And, you know, and that affects our jobs, right? And, you know, you're, you're wondering when the OHL season is going to start. I mean, the, the, the Quebec League is going and, you know, an, an interesting conversation with Craig Button about that and that there's no American teams and they can play basically in different bubbles, right? So they can limit it a lot. The WHL and the OHL. They do have uh, American teams, and and you know we we kind of hear about the uh, the restrictions in in Ontario. What do you think happens with this OHL season? It's a great question. I mean, I I, I had a pretty good chat with Cam Moon on the weekend as well, and you know it's there's just so much uncertainty. It's just so hard to gauge, right? I, th- I think the best thing to happen, and when we've seen some setbacks already in the queue, right, with Blainville, Boisbriand, and right and Quebec being in these red zones and they they can't play for a month. So what are they going to do there? So I think the best thing 
to happen is would be for the queue to basically, you know, you know, once they're beyond that, hopefully have some successful playing for another month or so. But it, it's every, you know, when you're talking about Ontario, you're talking about Ontario, uh, Pennsylvania and Michigan where, with teams in the OHL. When you're talking about the Western League, you're talking about six different jurisdictions mm-hmm. with Manitoba, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and then Washington State and Oregon as well. So it's just so hard to gauge because every jurisdiction is going to handle things differently. But uh, yeah, I, I'm hoping by at least the new year, December to me seems optimistic, especially if you're looking at butts and seats, but maybe by the new year, they'll be able to do something, but we'll see. I mean, it's, it's all just guesswork at this stage. Well, and, but, and, and so that's the, that's the, Hey, we can finally start playing part of it maybe that we get to right then there's the whole okay can we afford to play with no fans i mean the 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 college baseball league uh in in the in the west here that the edmonton uh prospects play in they couldn't play because they don't have a lucrative tv deal the chl has a decent tv deal with uh, sportsnet but not enough to cover the owners so there's a yeah we can play because now maybe the health guidelines have given us the go-ahead but we can't bring fans in. So, you know, if if you can't have fans, how do you have a league without a TV deal? It's different for the pro sports that have, you know, billion-dollar TV deals. What happens if you can't play with fans? How how do some of these teams get by? It's a great question. Look at the CFL, right? The CFL's yeah. got a, a deal that pays each team $5 million a year, and they couldn't make it work, right? So uh, it's... You know, it's a great question. And, you know, we're seeing the pay-to-play model in the BCHL this year, which has been brought in before in the CCHL out here in Junior A. You know, do the does Major Junior go down that road? I, I can't Wee. imagine they do. No way. So, yeah, no, it's if there's no government help coming, you know, the queue is able to get off the ground because they got some government help. And, and in the Maritimes, you've got a maritime bubble with barely any cases. And I experienced right. that firsthand once I got out of the bubble in PEI. But, you know, in the rest of the country, as long as the cases are high, uh, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah, even Manitoba has, uh, you know, has, has seen spikes and things like that. So uh, I, I just don't know uh, with that many, like, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, I think uh, December is too early, and I just don't know how they do it with fans. So let's talk about the CFL. And, um, you know, what, what was your thought process on them not getting bailed out uh, and having to cancel the season and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, in the end, like, I was disappointed they didn't get the government money, but you can't expect you're going to get it. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. If, if if the difference was about $30 million over the course of nine teams, it's kind of disappointing that they couldn't find a way to, to you know, spend an extra. And look, I, it's not, it's easy for me to say. I mean, I don't have to dip into my pants for three, three, three and a half million that I don't have. But right. I'm disappointed. I, I think they I think it's a missed opportunity. I think they would have probably come out, you know, better playing uh, than than not playing. That's just my opinion. And and you'll you'll look at, you know, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs are done. The NBA playoffs are going to be done shortly. Baseball is going to go on for a few more weeks. But they they could have had football on TSN every night of the week. You you could have played games every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, and then put NFL yeah, as, as the mm-hmm. games are on Thursday, Sunday, Monday, 
and you'd have a game every every night of the week in October and November. So to me, it's a missed opportunity for the league. And look, I, I think they'll be fine. I, I think, you know, it's going to be tough. There's going to be some pains here. But I, I think, you know, they need to find ways to reinvent themselves. But you're, you're talking about stadiums that have been just built or renovated in, in Hamilton and in Ottawa, uh, in BC and Edmonton, in, in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg. You know, you've got new ownership in Montreal. Uh, you've got deep pockets in, in Toronto. And, and, and Calgary's got pretty deep pockets, too, with the Stampeders and, and Flames group, owning yeah. that group. So, yeah, I, I think... You know, in, in the end, there's going to be a market for it, but there's going to be some hard times here. And you, you just hope that by the time they get going again, by June, that maybe the, there's a vaccine and fans are allowed back in stadiums again. Yeah, uh, that, that's the thing. I mean, um, the the Canadian Football League, you know, we know what the, the Canadian Football League means to us, but... You know, we're in the minority, unfortunately, and, and that's unfortunate that it happens. Uh, but two years of no football? Oh, I, I, I can't imagine what that would do to the fan base and, and the, you know, the, the, maybe the people that are on the fence. Well, they need to be playing next year no matter what. They need to find a way because one year away, we've seen it yeah. with various leagues. The National Hockey League, a prime example, people came back. I think people will come back here as well, but. You know, you, you have to have a presence. And, you know, the Canadian Premier League played this year. Canadian Elite Basketball League played this year. Right. I, I know it's not apples to apples, but, you know, they don't have the same kind of TV money either. So uh, they, they have to find a way next year to, to get on the field, even if, you know, we're still in some uncertain times. All right. The one team that might be the the happiest with COVID is uh, the Houston Asterix. And uh, because they everywhere they went this year, nobody uh, really, really got to boo them. And you know, I couldn't wait for them to go to Yankee Stadium for the first time. But they got out of it. The commissioner bailed them out of a bunch of other stuff as well. Anyway, I'm leading into the playoffs. I'm watching the A's and the Astros as uh, we record this. Um, is that the, the biggest disappointment with COVID is the Astros? They didn't get to, to have to pay from the fans for what they did? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, well, they paid some of them at the plate, right? Sure, so yeah. There was that. But they'll look, they'll be booed. When there's fans back, they'll be booed. People have, uh, have long memories. So, yeah, I... I I hope they get knocked out. Uh, I was disappointed the Twins couldn't knock them out. Mm -hmm. I mean, they weren't even that good a team, right? They won 29 games, 29 and 31. And But, you know, because of the format, and I understand it, but, you know, best of three, not the greatest format. But we'll we'll see. We'll see how they go. And I don't like the fact that there's no reseeding either. To me, the two best teams on each side are are playing each other, San Diego and L.A., Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay and, and New York. And, you know, I know Oakland and Atlanta have something to say about that. But to me, I would have liked uh, Tampa Bay to play Houston and uh, the Dodgers to get an easier ride as well. And I'm not even a Dodgers fan. But uh, anyways, it is what it is. I'm just glad that we, you know, for, for a while, it didn't look like, you know, when the Cardinals and the Marlins had their issues early on with COVID, you kind of wondered if they're even going to complete the season. I'm, I'm just glad that they were able to complete the regular season, get into the playoffs, and at least we get to enjoy some playoff bubble baseball. Yeah, I, that that Dodgers-Padres series is going to be so awesome. I mean, listen, I am I am a Dodgers fan, so I've been, you know, 
is watching this L.A. team run over everybody in that West Division every year and then get to the playoffs and, and not be as good. And I, I really think it's because they have such an easy way. They had to battle against the Padres this year. And the Padres, holy man, did they come on fast. Like, all of a sudden, the Padres were, it's like, you know, you, you leave school and uh, your kid brother is like five feet tall. And then the next year you come back and that kid brother is like six feet tall now. The Padres got good really fast. That's going to be a great series, no matter when it's played, whether it's now or if it was played, you know, later as it could have been. It's going to be awesome to watch. I think that's going to be the best series of this next round. Well, you know why they're good again? It's they went to the brown and gold again. <laughs> Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and no, it, for sure, it's going to be a fun <laughs> series to watch. And uh, I mean, just I again, I I don't follow baseball to the same level that I used to, but. You know, just seeing what Fernando Tatis Jr. did over the course of the season. And then you look at the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw. I mean, there's been a, I, I think he's probably taken too much heat uh, for, you know, some of his playoff disappointments. Yeah. Um, you know, some people saying he can't get it done in the playoffs. Look, he, he's been better in the regular season than the, playoff, than the playoffs. That that That's a given. But to suggest that he can't get it done, I, I, I think that's, uh, I, I don't know, That that's, Probably, I, I don't like writing off athletes, especially high-end athletes, and saying you can't get it done. I mean, A-Rod's a guy, and you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a Mariners fan, so I wasn't happy when he left. But how many people said A-Rod mm-hmm. just can't get it done in the playoffs? And for most playoffs, that was the case. But the year they won the World Series, he stepped up and, and actually performed quite well. So I, I would think that you know someone with that type of ability should be able to have his game translate. He looked pretty good in the last round, and. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they won at all. People said that about Ray Bork too, right? Oh, he can't. He's, he's lost twice to the Oilers in the Stanley Cup final in the uh, in the late '80s. He can't in the ni- in 1990. He can't get it done, and it's 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 silly. And listen, it's not Clayton Kershaw's fault that Dave Roberts screwed it up last year. And now you add Mookie Betts to the leadoff. Cody Bellinger was hitting in the sixth spot during the last couple of games. This is an MVP from last year. So you, you know that that Houston Astros lineup from last year looked so good. Now we we obviously know why they looked so good but you know you start getting the feeling of this dodger lineup that yeah man if they've got bets leading off and kershaw and bueller you know they're missing some pieces with the injuries but to pin uh, a team sport on one guy especially a guy who only goes out and pitches every five days is pretty silly i think yeah and you know what how about Dodgers Astros in the World Series? Wouldn't that be something? Oh, I would give up Dodgers Yankees for that just to see the Dodgers beat them. Like I really want to see Dodgers Yankees, but if it means the Dodgers get over on the Astros, I would take that in a heartbeat. That would be that would be incredible, man. I'm you sure imagine? the players would, would feel the same way. They want another crack, I'm sure, right? All of baseball does, right? All of baseball wants yeah. another crack at the Astros. The only thing I would hate for it to happen is some fluke thing happens and the Astros win another World Series after all that. I don't know if baseball could actually uh, handle that. Um, Okay, so we first met uh, when you became the first play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Um, let's go back to that time for just a bit. And, you know, this is a team that, you know, did one time go on to three straight titles and uh, went to two Memorial Cups, but they were a much different um, uh, franchise on ice at that time. A lot of the really good pieces in the organization were there, though, weren't they? 
as far as staff. Yeah, well, you could see you could see the foundation was being built uh, from from Bob Green and Randy Hanch, and just uh, you know, really good group. They they built the foundation with good people, and when you've got good people leading the way, then that meant the Mark Pesics and the T.J. Fosters and the, the Rhett Rachinskis and the players that ended up playing a big part in, in their first WHL championship in 2012. They were learning from, from people that were, you know, good players, but, but really good people. And I, I think, uh, you know, Bob Green deserves a lot of credit for what they did and built there. And it wasn't surprising to me that they ended up going to three, three consecutive WHL finals, winning two of them and winning – a Memorial Cup in, in 2014. They drafted well, they developed well. And, and uh, again, they just, they, he built it with a foundation of, of really good people. Just, I, I think those teams, those three years um, on the bus, I, I probably, from a junior hockey standpoint, I, I'm not sure. I, I've certainly watched better hockey, <laughs> but and just in terms of the group and, and the quality of kid that was on the bus, you know, and you're talking about long bus trips throughout Western Canada. I mean, we had a crazy, crazy trip in in 2009 because of the roar of the rings for for the Olympic oh, curling. Right. In, in December, we we were gone for 13 days. We we left from Alberta to to go to to Kamloops. From Kamloops went to Kelowna, and then to Vancouver. So that was. We, you know, we left on a Monday, played Wednesday, Friday, Saturday in Vancouver. Then the team ended up busing Sunday to Cranbrook. I ended up going to trail because that's where I spent, you know, my first three years in radio. But uh, en- ended up going to trail and then caught up with them on the Wednesday. Um, played in Cranbrook on the Wednesday against the Kootenai Ice. Played in Moose Jaw on the Friday. Played in Brandon on the Saturday and then went home. <laughs> Meantime, they went 0-6 on that trip. Yeah. But, um, you know, that that's a lot of bus time. But I, I, I have nothing but good memories. I, I When I think about the bus time with that group, I, I just sit back and smile. And, you know, just just some of the personalities on that on that team. And, and so, yeah, I... A lot of good memories from that group for sure. And, and, and again, not surprised that they were able to win the championships they did just within the next four years after that. Yeah, bus rides in the Western Hockey League, much different than bus rides in the OHL, aren't they? I'll, I'll tell you this, though. It's it's no picnic. I, I'm gonna, it, I, Don't get too snooty about the West <laughs> versus the OHL. It, it's fine if you're in Mississauga or Kitchener or one of those central places. I can tell you, Ottawa's got the second worst travel in the OHL. The Sioux is the only place uh, that, that's more of an outlier. When Belleville left, and, and now they're in the American Hockey League, of course, as, as the Ottawa Senators affiliate, but that was a big blow to the Ottawa 67s because they got Kingston two hours away. Mm-hmm. You've got Peterborough on a good day. It's three and a half hours away, but in the winter, it could be four. Uh, North Bay, pretty much the same thing, probably closer to four, but it could be four to five, depending on the roads. Oshawa is about three, 345 to four, and everything else is beyond Toronto or beyond Sudbury. And, and if you're going beyond Toronto, you can't really, can't really predict how, how it's going to go because, you know, you, you could be stuck in traffic for two hours. So, yeah, the, I, I can tell you I enjoyed 
the bus trips in the WHL more than I enjoyed the bus trips in the mm. OHL, partially because, you know, even though they're longer, you'd get out on the road and you might, you might get out for a nine day trip and play six games, but then you're done here. Like one of the things I, I can't stand to be honest is you play, you might play at home on a Friday, then, then like head out on the road. As soon as the game is done, you get to like Kingston or Belleville, you, you call it a night. Then, then you, you go out and, and, and you drive to Barry the next day, drive there, get in your hotel, have a nap, play Barry, stay overnight, go to Owen, Owen Sound the next day, play there in the afternoon, and then come back seven hours on the bus after that, right? So those aren't exactly fun trips either. I'll, I'll say that. So, and, and the queue has got some really bad trips too. When, when you look at, you know, even just when, not, never mind going to the Atlantic provinces, but, you know, just, you know, Rouen, Bay Como and some of those places that they have to go there. So the, it's not easy. It's a grind for everybody. Look, if you're in Kitchener and you're in Mississauga and you've got five hotel nights a year, then you don't have much yeah, to complain about. That's but right. If you're an outlier like Ottawa or the Sioux and you're, you're still spending 25, 30 hotel nights. Right. And that's, that's one of the challenges they, they want to, you know, you talk about the OHL and how, how they're going to get this season off the ground. Um, you know, they, they want every team not to stay in a hotel. Well, okay, that, that's fine for most teams. But, you know, how do you do that for Ottawa? If, you know, like you, you can do it for Kingston. You can do it for mm-hmm. Oshawa. You can do it for Peterborough. You can probably get away with it in North Bay. But beyond that, Mississauga is a maybe anything beyond that. I mean, Hamilton's in their division, you know, Hamilton is another hour past Toronto and you can get to Toronto in four, four and a half hours. But again, so technically you could get to Hamilton in five, five and a half hours, but there's no chance you're getting to Hamilton in five, five and a half hours each way with, with the traffic in the GTA. So yeah, it's, I don't know that that's, you've got a lot of question marks when, when mm-hmm. you talk about, how they're going to run things and, and, and what they're going to do in terms of scheduling. It's, it's easy to schedule, you know, 10 or 12 teams that, that are close to the GTA. But once, once you start getting to the, to the outliers, the Sault Ste. Marie's, the Ottawa's, and then what do you do with the American teams, right? Uh, with, well, you know, yeah. they're, they're not going to play each other. Play Even if you had a 40 game schedule, is Flint, Erie and Saginaw going to play each other yeah. 20 times each? So I, I don't know that, these are these are problems that are above my pay grade, and I'm glad I don't have to deal with them. Yeah, see, even in the WHL, like you could have your American division and just stay and do that, but you can't avoid hotel rooms. Like Brandon or Winnipeg can't play the Saskatchewan teams and drive back to Brandon or Winnipeg. You could do it in in Alberta probably uh, with some of those teams, but you're not doing it in Manitoba. You're not you're not having Brandon and Winnipeg play each other forty times or whatever, and 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 you're not playing a you're not doing an overnight trip to PA to Brandon. It's just well, you, you could I guess. What about uh, Prince and, George? Yeah, I know. Well, Prince George is what eight hours to their closest opponent. Like they probably have the yeah, worst travel in the CHL. That's the worst travel in the CHL. That team probably. Your closest trip well, is eight hours. The four worst teams. I remember I used to look this up. The four worst teams in the CHL. Every year, in whatever order, were Edmonton, Prince George, Kootenay, and who was the fourth again? Brandon. Has I think it was Brandon. Brandon. Has to be Brandon. Yeah, yeah. But now Brandon at least has Winnipeg. Kootenay's now, yeah. Gone, so Prince George, to me, would be the worst. Edmonton wouldn't be that far behind. 
Well, now everybody is locked, happy that Brandon and Winnipeg are there so that you can at least double dip when you go into, uh, into Manitoba. This got to get a better. Re- I watched the game in Winnipeg this year. It's at the old Max Bell Arena in Winnipeg. So, uh, they're getting a, a new complex, uh, there. All right. Let's, uh, I do word association with a lot of guys about, uh, their former teammates and things like that. I want to do kind of like word association, but with who the guys are with, uh, players that you've been around, whether you've called. So I'll give you a kind of a topic and you tell me the player and we'll start with. And, and there might be a couple of players, but who is the funniest? Well, I'm going to go with, uh, see, this is where soccer guys have the advantage. Okay. Because, uh, you know, you, you get the international flavor. And I, I was fortunate with Ottawa Fury to deal with two soccer guys from Ireland, Colin Falvey and Richie Ryan. And these guys, I mean, they they would have sayings just that 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 would make you howl when when you're talking about whether you're interviewing them or whether you're just seeing them just great guys the irish are the best so yeah i have to go with soccer guys and my um my pals colin falvey and richie ryan all right how about the most skilled and and i'm really interested to find out which sport you pick oh i so you're you're making me pick between sports then yeah uh Man, Mark Stone's pretty skilled because I, I was lucky enough to call nine NHL games, and that was 2013-14. So before 14-15 is when he, I, I figured you'd like that one, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you're you're a Brandon guy. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I pretty tough to to beat Mark Stone, and you could see, you know, towards the end of that 13-14 season, and I've always liked him. His hockey sense is incredible, and just such a competitor, but. Man, you could see towards the end of that 13-14 season that he was morphing into something special mm-hmm. and uh, wasn't surprised that uh, that that really started to happen the next year because, you know, everyone talks about the Hamburglar run and, of course, Andrew Hammond. Sure. And, and he was obviously the biggest part of that, but Mark Stone was 1A. It was 1-1A, one and, and Mark Stone was incredible in that run. And, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think now people are starting to appreciate just how good Mark Stone really is. Mm-hmm. You know who I thought of when you were talking about Jack Quinn? I thought of Mark Stone on the on the basis of when Jack Quinn was there, they were a loaded team. Well, I went I was at that Memorial Cup in 2010 that Brandon hosted where London blew them out in the final and and Scott Glennie was benched or hurt or whatever it was and it was Stone that they moved up with Shen and Calvert. And at the time you're like, "Oh, I was like, okay, this guy's having some trouble getting around or whatever, but he was a young guy that was moved up and he didn't get that playing time early that year because they were so stacked. And then, you know, after that, you could see his emergence. So it's amazing. Well, you know, some it's so impressive when a kid goes out and scores 30 goals in his 16 year old year, but it's amazing to watch those guys that are kind of bubbling under the surface, like a Mark Stone or, or a Jack Quinn. So uh, I like that. And, you know, Vegas and the Kelly McCrimmon connection obviously uh, doesn't help as well. Uh, this one might be tough. Who's the nicest okay. athlete? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna stick with hockey here on this one as well and go with mm-hmm. Danny Bataccio. Okay, um, you, you'd have to be a junior hockey aficionado to know Danny Bataccio. Honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a guy play as good as Danny Bataccio did in the latter half of 2015, and then for two and a half months throughout the playoffs in the OHL. Um, basically stole two consecutive series early against Barry and, and Sudbury. Then 
you know, was lights out when they swept Peterborough was lights out against London. And, you know, to the point where they actually tried to get him off his game with the, a skate guard issue at, at the Memorial cup, but battled back. He had a, he had a brain tumor tumor um, in, in 2004. And honestly, one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Uh, not sure if he's still playing. He had a real good, career in, in rapid city in the ECHL, but, uh, just a super, super guy. All right. This one, um, this happens a lot. We, we oftentimes seen great junior players and then they don't turn out to be that great of a pro. Is there a guy out there that you were sure was going to be a guy and just for whatever reason, the career didn't work out. I'm going to go back to a guy that I played against and, and that's Jason Podolan. I, I played Bantam AAA against Jason Padola and, and he he was incredible. Actually, he he attended a Fort Saskatchewan Traders camp with me, and I played on his line. And I gave him a pass that was about a foot behind him, and and about a half a foot in the air. And he didn't break stride. He took it. His stick was behind him, and he took this puck out of midair and didn't break stride and just kept on going. And I'm like, wow. man, if only I could play with guys like this all the time. <laughs> he was incredible. And guy played in the World Juniors, and, and I thought he was going to be a surefire NHLer. And, yeah, I, I would say, you know, just based on playing against him, Jason Padolan. Okay, the other way, who's a guy that, you know, is has exceeded your expectations? Maybe you weren't even sure – he would be able to be a pro, and then he ended up in uh, the NHL. Derek Ryan. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And you know what? That goes back. A long way. I, I, I coached uh, against Derek Ryan. I, I had a really good group that I, that I coached in summer hockey, and we, we'd play teams all across BC, but we'd also play, you know, teams in Washington State. And, and he was on this, you know, team with a bunch of Spokane kids on it and he was their best player but I never really thought like there were so many good 86s and 87s around BC at, at that point that you, you kind of thought okay this is a good player but he'll play major junior and then mm -hmm. you know kind of I kind of figured he'd do he'd have the route, route that he did major junior University of Alberta Golden Bears Europe then he came back to the NHL and couldn't be happier for him because he just worked his butt off. Uh, just a smart player and a guy that just improved so much year after year after year. And good for him. Uh, I'm glad he's been able to carve out uh, a, a real nice career over the course of his time in, in the NHL in Europe. And, you know, you would remember this uh, from, from growing up in this area. Remember what, what, it, what it meant for – People look at Randy Gregg and say, wow, this guy played in the NHL and he became a, a, a doctor, right? And and he played in this really high competitive program at the U of A with obviously Claire Drake. And it gave some, I, I think, elevated credence to CIAU at the time. And now Derek Ryan and some other guys are shining the light on you know, CIS hockey now. So I think it also elevates that style and, and makes people pay a little bit more attention to it to find those guys that uh, maybe have taken a little bit longer to develop. U-sports now, Dino. Oh, U-sports, that's right. <laughs> it changes so much. <laughs> which which is ridiculous. I know. I just had to laugh up because it went from CIAU to CIS and yeah. now it's U-sports and they're, they're probably going to look for another. I mean, look, I, I'm a big fan of, 
U Sports have broadcast. I actually haven't broadcast U Sports hockey, but I grew up on oh. Golden Bears hockey. Yeah. I, I I used to love going to Golden Bears games back, you know, in, in the eighties. So I you know I don't remember seeing Randy Gregg play. I remember seeing Randy Gregg play with the Oilers, but right. uh, I'm, t- I'm too young to remember him as a Golden Bear. But yeah, I mean, just uh, seeing those teams in the eighties and nineties in particular. Yeah, that that's that's my wheelhouse. I broadcast a lot of U Sports basketball. I broadcast some U Sports football. It's it's a great product and. Uh, I, I wish it got a little bit more attention uh, than, than it does. Well, there's been a lot of years that I've lived in Edmonton that that has been the best, most entertaining hockey in the city because, you know, for a lot of times, going to watch the Oilers get blown out every night and the decade of darkness was not fun, and that was the most competitive team. And the, the Oil Kings obviously came along as well, but uh, that that uh, university hockey does not get enough exposure. How about the best leader? Who's the best leader you've ever covered uh, on a sporting team? Henry Burris, no doubt about it. I, I mean, uh, you, you look at you look at what he did. I mean, Ottawa had an expansion team; they were two and sixteen, and to help turn them, you know, a, a lot of that. A, a, I've I've been around a lot of expansion teams now. I've been around four of them: two what? in soccer with Atletico Ottawa and, and Ottawa Fury, one in junior hockey with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and and then one with pro football and the Ottawa Red Blacks. And and it's tough. I think one of the biggest things early on is just to kind of figure out your identity, right? And and a lot of it is just believing that you're good enough. You, you might have all the parts, and if you put those parts in, you know, a Calgary Stampeder uniform or, um, you know, a Medicine Hat Tigers uniform, then everyone's just kind of thinking, well, we're good. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's different when when you're new and you're you're trying to show that you belong. And he basically got that group believing that they belonged and so yeah and and what he did in the 2016 gray cup when he had to go off after injuring his knee in the pregame and taking a, a shot of cortisone in the knee that was and, so wild you know, basically yeah <laughs> coming back and and then not, not only that it's not it's not that he pulled the willis reed and came back and scored a couple of buckets and sat on the bench he had right. honestly that's one of the best gray cup performances in the history of the sport and so, yeah, it's it's Hank for sure. All right. Uh, the most impressive individual accomplished that you've uh, witnessed from a player you've covered? Oh, why, why do I forget what I put here? Um, you know what? It might be, it, it might be Marco Rossi's 120 points last year and, and you know, plus 69. Yeah, I mean... Pretty incredible what he what he was able to do last year for sure. So I, I'm going to have to go with Marco Rossi. Yeah, led the entire uh, Canadian Hockey League. That was uh, outstanding. How about the? Uh... Although I'm going to give an honorable mention to okay. uh, because I got I've thrown a football, a soccer, some hockey. I, I've got to throw a, a basketball one out there. I, I saw Phil Scrub tear up with a Wisconsin team. They beat them by double digits and they eased up. Wisconsin came probably thinking they're just going to get a nice little game against a Canadian school and they just got crushed. And that Wisconsin team ended up in the final four and it was Phil Scrub. They had other good players, Tyson Hens and Thomas Scrub as well. But Phil Scrub in particular was the best player on the floor by a mile. They had, they had a couple of guys that went to the NBA on that team. So I'll say uh, well, Phil Scrub, what he did against Wisconsin was pretty incredible. And who was that team? 
That was the Carlton Ravens battle. That was Carlton, right, yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, that, that's in, the, in the factory, their, right? Yeah, in the midst of one of their five-in-a-row runs. They they never lost a national championship with, with Phil and Thomas Scrub there. They won that's, all five. So, yeah, unbelievable. pretty incredible player. And, you know, to see a guy go from there to playing basically in the best league in Europe, in the Euro League, and, and, and playing for the Canadian national team is, is pretty impressive. Okay, best interview subject. Has to be a player, can't be a coach. I'm going to say there, this is where the foot, football guys really, really shine. There, there's some really, really great stories out of, uh, mm-hmm. out of the CFL, uh, especially guys that, that grew up from in tough backgrounds that, that are, are willing to tell their stories. I know Sherrod Baltimore's one. He told a story uh, about, you know, the, not having not coming home and not having food on the table and you know just what, what he had to deal with growing up in in a real tough area in washington dc so uh jerrell gavin's another real just a fantastic interview he, he talked about you know just different different uh you know um things that that went on in the world five thousand years ago and um, you know, he, he was just fascinated by so many different parts of society beyond football. So that was another guy that I, I love. But yes, some of the CFL stories you get are fantastic. And Sherrod Baltimore and Jarrell Gavin certainly uh, come to mind. Certainly. I remember Ed Hervey telling me the story of his brother having a, oh. a gun shoved in his uh, mouth. Uh, they grew up in Compton, right? And some of the things that... Uh, yeah. That that they they had to get through and friends dying and you know it's like it's it's it really is amazing when you look and say, you know somebody that came from such a a place of hurdles and and deaths and and all these roadblocks can become a professional athlete. I think it kind of speaks to those particular people and the drive and the will and you know to 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 get out of that area and, and create a better life. So. Some of those stories, you're right. CFL players, like, listen, it's awesome to talk to and watch a child prodigy like Connor McDavid develop. But the one thing I do love about the CFL is the backgrounds, the stories, the tales, um, the the struggles that that that, that is out there. That's what makes that league relatable. Uh, not that we can relate to growing up in Compton, but you know, these guys are are, are in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, you'd see him at a construction site in the off season, right? You know, it's it's a it's a little bit different, but the CFL is a little bit more relatable because the stories sometimes are a little bit more relatable. Yeah, well, even the Ricky Rays, right, going yeah. from driving a chip truck to being an you know one of the best quarterbacks in the in the league. So there, there's all I remember talking to Nick Grigsby about the fact that you know he was he was a top ten, he was the uh, leading Kia salesman in, in the state of Florida and top 10 in the country. And he was leaving his job there to, to come up here and, and give football another crack again. And when he was done, he was going back to sell Kias. So just yeah. just interesting to get, uh, you know, those types of stories for sure. Yeah, Shannon Garrett, I think, worked in a bank uh, while he was uh, playing in the CFL. All right, best name to call. Uh, there's some really fun names. There's some really hard names out there. Do you have a favorite name that kind of sticks out for any reason? Boone Jenner. I don't know why <laughs> why I like Boone Jenner, but uh, that's <laughs> there's something about that name that I like. It's like uh, Matt Nieto scored a goal in college once, and we used it on the Pipeline show in our intro, and the guy's like, Matt Nieto. I can't hear Matt Nieto's name without hearing that uh, in my head all the time. So there's so- certain names that certainly stick out. 
Okay. I like that's a good right. Spanish soccer name too. Like okay. Acuna. That's that's another good one. So. Well, you could work on the the tongue roll, right? Yeah. Exactly. No, I, I learned a little bit of Spanish this year doing the uh, Atletico Ottawa games, which they're owned by Atletico Madrid. So I made right. sure to to learn a few different phrases. Oh, uh, I hope to be beautiful. a little more fluent in Spanish next year. All right. All right, let's wrap up with this one. Uh, your favorite coach to chat with off the air. Uh, doesn't even have to be about hockey. Just a guy you like talking to around off the air. Brian Kilray, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that was an easy one. Um, just, I, I love Brian Kilray because, like, he, he just, he loves talking about different subjects. He loves talking about, he loves talking about sports. Baseball, football. He, he's not even a big soccer fan. And, and like, I remember like back in those days when I was riding the bus 03 to 07 with the 67s, when he was still there before I came back to Edmonton, he knew I was a big soccer guy and he'd give me a hard time about it, but he knew what was going on. He'd be like, Oh yeah, Manchester United, big win today. Hey. Hmm. And so I, I, I always love chatting with him. Just a super fun guy, like great sense of humor and, you know, Hall of Fame uh, hockey coach for a reason. So, yeah, definitely have to go with Killer. I remember uh, at the 2001 Memorial Cup in Regina where Red Deer, when I was covering it for the Rebels, that Ottawa team rolled in, and, and it looked like they had just come out of the bush. I mean, they had giant beards, and the hair was long, and one guy was carrying a bucket of fried chicken. And, and, and I remember I sat down and had a good chat with Seamus Kotick, uh, who was their goaltender at the time, and he just, just things he, he just said, Brian Kilray is like, and unlike any other coach as well, he's just... You know, he looks like a gruff guy, but he was always so relatable to his players, as they said. So no wonder he, he, he accomplished as much as he did because everybody seemed to love him. Yeah, no, there's so many great stories. And he's such a great storyteller, too. I mean, he played for Eddie Shore, right? Yeah. In, yeah. in the American Hockey League. So just those, those stories. I Every time I see him, I'm like, you got a good Eddie Shore story for me? And, and he always comes up with something different. So... Yeah, just uh, a true character and, yeah, someone that uh, I always love uh, running into for sure. No doubt. AJ, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm so glad uh, that uh, you've been able to put uh, the winter's health issues behind you and uh, back at work and call in the games. And uh, we're all excited about the NHL draft as well. So thanks so much for giving me some time. It's always great to catch up with you. I enjoyed our time together here in Edmonton. Stay healthy, stay safe, and enjoy the draft, man. Thanks, Dino. Appreciate it. She told me to stay. She said it didn't feel right. I said, don't worry, babe. We sailed out of sight. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. That is uh, Sweet Bejesus, uh, the official music of Sports and More, the podcast that was Solo Sailing Excursion. Kevin Dabbs, Christian Gutzis, Makeup, Sweet Bejesus. From their debut album, Policeman's Creek, was that 
a song. So we thank them very much. And of course, AJ Jakobic of TSN 1200. Uh, some of the, some of the best stuff comes at the end when you're just kind of doing the rapid fire. I love the, uh, the bus trip talk that we got into kind of that rabbit hole of, uh, bus trips and things like that. So, uh, big thanks to him and, uh, certainly glad that he is, uh, on the way to uh, recovery. We'll have one-timers with AJ a little bit uh, later in the week, that's for sure. But let's get to our uh, ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. This is a serious message. Peace and love. Peace and love. All right. It is uh, October 5th as we're recording this. And anybody that knows me knows I am a huge uh, Halloween slash horror fan. So I've been through in 31 and 31, uh, trying to watch this ever, a movie every day. Uh, started with um, Dr. Sleep, thought it was awesome, uh, went with that. Uh, and uh, also, um, what else did I watch? Oh, Us, I watched. That was pretty good. And then I watched the recent Halloween uh, movie from uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. I got one more tonight. I have missed today, so I'll have to watch two. But uh, here is the uh, poll question: Who would you be most scared of if they were real? And maybe you, some of you, think these people or things are real. I don't know, uh, but I want to know who would you be most scared of: Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Pinhead from the Hellraiser, and Michael Myers from Halloween. Voorhees, of course, Friday the 13th, and Freddy Krueger from Nightmare on Elm Street. I shouldn't even have to tell you people this, but anyway, I doubt I would have to. Freddy Krueger blowing away the competition. 63.2% of the votes. Jason Voorhees narrowly beating out Michael Myers so far with 16.2% to 14.7%. Pinhead getting no respect. He is the Rodney Dangerfield of... uh, Horror characters here. Uh, He only has uh, 5.9% of the vote. I'll be honest, I haven't watched all of the Pinhead stuff, so I'm going to get into it because I want to explore that character. But of the ones I have watched, Jason, Freddy, and Michael Myers, I guess Freddy because you're sleeping. But he's not the scariest. For me, it's probably Jason because he just never dies. And, And I guess Michael Myers doesn't either, but... Uh, I don't know. I, I was always just more scared of Jason Voorhees, I think, than uh, than anything. So anyway, have your say, please, at Duck Millard, and uh, you can get in the game. And that, of course, is brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports, where you own the game. So get in the game with the most realistic fantasy platform that there is www.uffsports.com if you're into MMA they're also branching into fantasy and there will be so much more with them as well all right let's get into perfect player now and this is where we take three players of whatever it is and combine them to make the perfect player and we're using the format of the National Hockey League draft 2020 forwards so three forwards from the 2020 draft that you would take to make the perfect player. Uh, for me, I'm going with uh, Alexis Lafreniere. Shocker. Uh, and then because his, his all-around game is just so awesome. Like he just he just does the everything well. Um, you know, I, I know I said it before. I asked the one time the poll question if he could get 90 points. I'm not sure it's... Uh, 
maybe that was me getting too excited or, or thinking he was better, but Barzell is will only have been of one year older in his rookie season than Lafreniere will be in his. He's 19, and Barzell had 85 points. The Rangers have way better supporting cast, so I think Lafreniere can do so much. So obviously he's on that list as far as uh, a perfect player is concerned. Uh, then I'm going Jack Quinn. Mentioned I liked him because he can score a lot of goals. Uh, loves to rip it, and uh, I think that's obviously a great component in a uh, perfect player. Uh, and uh, and then uh, the uh, the final player that I'm going with is Cole Perfetti uh, because uh, when I talked to Craig about this guy, Craig Button of TSN, the director of scouting, when I talked to him, he just raves about the brain. And uh, Quinn, the friend Nate, they got all the physical skills. Perfetti has the smartest brain in the game uh, from what I've been told in the 2020 draft. So you put that all together, it is awesome. So Lafreniere Quinn and Cole Perfetti is who I'm going with. Uh, this is from uh, Koska Daddy uh, saying uh, he's going Lafreniere, Raymond, and uh, he originally had Sanderson, but uh, just didn't know it was all forwards. Uh, so then he went with uh, Anton Lindell. Uh, so Ma- uh, Mason uh, Raymond, or not not Mason Raymond, uh uh, Lucas Raymond, I uh, sorry, I, I uh, butchered that one. Uh, but Raymond, uh, it is uh, Raymond Lafreniere, and um, who was the uh, the third person that I had? Oh, I think uh, it was uh, Anton Lindell. That's who they changed it to. Yeah, so uh, Lucas Raymond, uh, and and listen, uh, Jake Sanderson skates so well, and maybe he joins the play so much that uh, that's what you, you think he might uh, be a forward at times. We'll see kind of where he lands. Uh, so Lafreniere, uh, Raymond, and uh, Lundell. Uh, and then this was a good one because they said the uh, speed of Dylan Larkin, this is from Van Banana, the hands of Elias Patterson and the grit of Owen Nolan. Didn't know it was uh, the uh, 2020 draft. Uh, so they said after Alexis, the Russian goalie, and Hughes brothers name-stealing Jack Quinn, I know no one. So anyway, if you want to respond, uh, there's a couple of responses that we got in. Uh, check it out at Duck Millard and uh, join in and, and tell us who your perfect player would be if you t- if you would take uh, three players and then combine them into one. That's going to wrap things up for us on the show. Big thanks to AJ Jakobic for joining us from TSN 1200. So happy that he is on the road to recovery. Uh, and back at work, and uh, he'll be obviously having a lot of stuff in the auto area tomorrow uh, or today, depending on when you're listening to this with the NHL draft. And thanks to you, the listener, uh, for and the watcher, the viewer. If you're watching this uh, on social media or our YouTube channel, I appreciate that. Uh, if you do enjoy the show, please uh, do us a big favor and uh, let us know by subscribing and leaving us a review and letting us know what you think of the program. And you can... Always get a hold of us at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming an advertiser, hit us up. We have a lot of very attractive things going on, and not just with this show, but you can check out more things at podcastalley.ca or sportsandmore.ca. Your one-stop shop, Podcast Alley, right by the Hammock District. All right. As mentioned, that's going to wrap things up. A big thanks uh, to AJ Jakubic. And uh, as we go, uh, as we always do, uh, we'll hear uh, a little ditty from 
the official music of Sports and More, the podcast, Sweet Bit Jesus. And it's a hockey theme today, so we're going with Pele, a song about Pele Lindbergh. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. Playtime is over. Say